Lesson 20, the important, this chapter examines the characteristics of a person who has developed ecstatic love. By studying them carefully, one will understand the difference between ecstatic love of a genuine devotee and the so-called ecstatic symptoms of a pretender. So what we did was, first we uh, covered the nine characteristics of bhava, I think, that we did. Yes. Now the second part is the imitative attachment or rati abhas. So first we covered the nine characteristics of bhava, now we're doing the imitative attachment, which is rati abhas. Okay. So the first point Srila Prabhupada makes is that the shadow attachment of the karmis and jnanis can be invoked only in the association of an uttamadhikari, but the ecstatic symptoms are imitative. So here, basically the karmis and jnanis cannot reach bhakti because the karmis are interested in sense gratification and the jnanis are interested in uh, becoming one with the Lord. Their interest is more how I can also become very powerful, how I can become just as powerful as God is. The karmi is more interested in just simple, they want to enjoy their senses, that's it. Cannot reach bhakti. So neither of these two persons can actually reach bhakti. Hare Krishna, come right in, come right. Hare Krishna Prabhu. But when they are with a Uttama Bhadikari, Uttamadhikari means one who is in a transcendental position, meaning they're very advanced devotee. So those advanced devotees, they have some symptoms. So the karmis and the jnanis, they look at that symptom and they imitate that symptom, but that is just imitation. That is not actually what is called bhava. Bhava is actually love of God. It is actually to have love of God, actually, oh. is, is to be in bhava. Then Prabhupada says that transcendental attachment, or what is called para, para means has gone past material, it's gone past material. Like we say, uh, uh, say we say, uh, um, para Brahman, like that. Brahman. Parabrahman. Well, Brahman is the all-pervasive energy of the Lord, right? It's the effulgence of the Lord that's coming out of the body of the Lord. Parabrahman means that which actually is the source of that energy, which is Krishna himself. Who is Krishna himself? Krishna is Parabrahman. Brahman is his energy, but Parabrahman is Krishna himself, like that. So, the in the same way, in the case of uh, attachment to Krishna, there is ordinary attachment, but then there is the real attachment or parabrahman, transcendental attachment of an ordinary person occurs when one shadow attachment results in the disappearance of all material pangs. So here it is described that even a ordinary person uh, can achieve transcendental attachment to Krishna when the shadow attachment that the person has, shadow attachment means that they're not, they're imitating, they're not, it's not a real attachment, results in the disappearance of all material pangs, meaning they're now ready to give up all material attachment. 
What is material attachment? Material attachment means to be attached to Krishna or Chaitanya Mahaprabhu for one's own benefit so that one can enjoy it. One can, uh, one can actually have some uh, benefits. One is looking for some benefits for them for, for themselves. So that is material. Because spiritual means that we are only interested in Krishna's pleasure. Solely for Krishna's pleasure, we say. Solely for Krishna's pleasure. These three words are very important. Solely Krishna's pleasure. Solely for Krishna's pleasure. If we do everything in our life solely for Krishna's pleasure, then that attachment is real attachment. You see? Now, initially we don't have that real attachment. That's fine. But that attachment will come because it's our desire that attachment will come to us. The transcendental attachment will come to us solely for Krishna's pleasure. So this is what is being described here. That the devotee, ordinary devotee, ordinary person, like we are ordinary persons, right? For us to get transcendental uh, attachment or rati, rati is called real taste, you know, real love for Krishna, real taste to be with Krishna, to please Krishna, to associate with Krishna and the associates of Krishna like that. Then if we do everything for solely for Krishna's pleasure, even though we know full well that what we're doing is not solely for Krishna's pleasure, we're still looking for something, right? We're looking for peace, we're looking for acceptance, we're looking for uh, you know, love, we're looking for something. We're still looking for something, looking for even money, we're looking for whatever we might be looking for. Good health, right? So many things that devotees can look for naturally. Uh, when those are, we've gone past that now, we're saying to ourselves, okay, that is not what's most important. What is most important is that Krishna is happy, that we please Krishna. That is the most important thing. So if you keep doing that, then what will happen is, slowly we'll lose taste for material things. We'll lose taste for it. We'll realize it's actually not what we should be running after. Material things are not what we should be running after. So then, what will happen is, we'll be able to go past material pangs, and that's when we'll have uh, transcendental attachment. So then Prabhupada says, coming to the platform of rati or bhava, right? rati is bhava, rati abhas means a little like we say uh, nama bhas, right? There is shuddhana, then there is nama bhas, and then there is uh, uh, nam aparad, right? So nam, nam aparad is when we are chanting with offense, offensively chanting, meaning we are committing offenses and we are chanting while we are committing offenses inattentively like that, then that is nam aparad, right? We are offending the holy name because we are not really interested in the holy name. We are only taking the holy name for some personal uh, agenda which is not even pleasing to Krishna. Now abhas means, now the agenda is becoming pleasing to Krishna, but we are still inattentive. The agenda has changed now. The agenda is for Krishna now. It's turned towards Krishna. You see, we have sort of like we are turning away from Krishna, now we are turning this way, and we have not quite faced Krishna yet, but we are turning towards Krishna now. You see what I am saying? That's now abhas. The example is given that 
when it is completely cloudy and dark like today, right? It's completely cloudy and dark. You don't see the sun. The sun is there, but we don't see it. So that is like uh, a dark day, right? A very cloudy day. So that's like Nam Aparad. Right? It's a very cloudy day. It's very dark. And then Nam Abhas means the clouds are clearing now. They're starting to clear. So you get a little bit of sunlight coming through. You see what I'm saying? Sun is breaking through the clouds at different places. The sun is breaking through the cloud. That's Nama Pass. And then when there are no more clouds left in the sky, it's pure, you know, uh, daylight and there's not a spot in the sky. It's a clear sky. Then that is called Shuddhanam. Shuddhanam, right? That is now the name. Now we are chanting the holy name purely. It's pure, yeah, pure chanting. So here, in the same way, in Rati also, in love, or in Bhava, there is Rati Abhas. We're talking about Rati Abhas right now. We're not talking about no Rati. We're not talking about no Bhava. We're talking about Bhava, but now we're getting first symptoms of Bhava. Right? First clearing of the sky. The first rays of sun are coming out now. The first rays of love are coming through now. That's what we're talking about here. Okay? So we don't. We should not think Rati Abhas is bad. No, Rati Abhas is very good. Because the sun is starting to appear. Sooner or later, all the clouds will be gone and there will be a clear sky. It will be a full full sky with sun, fully fully sunny. It will be totally sunshine. You see, like that. Okay. So like a Nama Parad equivalent Rati something? Yeah, this is Rati Abhas. Nama Abhas, Rati Abhas. Rati Abhas means, like Nama Abhas means that we are chanting, but it is not pure chanting, it is in a clearing phase. So, Rabati Abhas is like love, but in the clearing phase, it's not quite pure love yet. It's not pure. It's Some impurities are still there. Yeah, but Nama Abhas is, before that, there is Nama Aparadi. First is Nama Aparadi. So what is the equivalent Nama Aparadi? Then there's no Rati. Oh. There's no Rati. There's no such thing as uh, Rati Aparadi. <laughs> because the idea is that Rati means that one has love for Krishna, right? One has some love for Krishna. If you don't have love for Krishna, that cannot be called... Like uh, one who is completely in sinful... Activity, yeah. They have no rati. No, no, because in Namaprad they are chanting the holy name, right? In Namaprad you are chanting the holy name. In the other one, nobody is loving Krishna, so there's nothing, they're not doing anything for Krishna's pleasure. They're not doing anything that is for devotion. They're not into devotion. They're, they're karmis and jnanis. They're not interested in devotion. Once they become interested in devotion, then the abhas phase starts. So we are said to be in rati abhas. Because we are now beginning to let go of our material desires slowly, right? I mean, if you look at, say, five years from now, earlier, five years earlier, we had more material desires. Today we have, five years later, we have less material desires. Five years from now, we'll have even less material desires. Hopefully one day we will have no material desires. When we have no more material desires, then we are, it is said, we are in transcendental attachment. We're in transcendental attachment. So now, bhava has set in. The beginning stages of bhava has set in. That's not abhas now. It is now urine bhava. But it's the beginning phases of bhava. And then bhava will develop into prema. Prema will be like, the example is given like milk, right? When you keep churning milk, what happens to the milk? The milk becomes thicker and thicker and thicker until it becomes what is called rubbery, right? It becomes rubbery. You see what I'm saying? So rubbery is like prema. Milk is like uh, bhava. It is milk, but it is not in the thickened phase yet. 
when it becomes thick, then it is prema. You see what I'm saying? Like that. And, uh, okay, I mean, yeah, let's leave it at that. Okay, so, so then Prabhupada says, how do we come to the platform of Rati from that phase, from the phase now that we are beginning to feel some love of Krishna, right? What are the symptoms that we feel when you feel love of Krishna? What are some of the things that we might feel? There are symptoms, you might say, love of Krishna. Okay, I'm starting to feel some love of Krishna. What are the symptoms? What are some things the devotee might... Yeah, you might tear up. You might tear up while you're chanting or, or while you're reading or something. Yeah, okay, that's true. Huh? Yeah, you, f- you want to see the Krishna deities. See what I'm saying? You have a desire. You feel like, I really want to see the deities of Krishna. I'd love to go and have darshan of the deities. Okay, okay, that's love of Krishna. What else? Tasting of the chanting and keep Yeah, yeah, you feel of some taste in chanting. You feel like chanting, not that oh, I have to do my 16 rounds. Let me just get it done somehow. No, you want to chant. You feel like you want to chant, right? Okay, that's not a good example. Or kirtan, you feel some taste for kirtan. Okay, what else? Hearing, yeah, you feel like you want to hear about this, right? That's that's example of uh, love of Krishna. What else? Yeah, you want to serve the deities, you want to serve the devotees, you want to do some, actually you want to serve, okay, that's love also, what else? Easiest one, huh? Yeah, reading Srila Prabhupada's books is definitely very high level of uh, love of Krishna. If you have a taste for reading Prabhupada's books, you, you, it's a very high level of uh, taste, that's that's very high taste. Prabhupada said, there's only one complaint I have again for my for my followers, they don't read my books. So if you do read his books, that means you're doing the one thing that Prabhupada was saying, that's the only thing that was missing. You finish the missing, you know, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, right? And there's a missing piece, you know? So you got the missing piece. When you read, you got the missing piece. You put that in there, it's sort of like, you know, sometimes you see these movies and they have a key, right? They found the key. They plug the key in, the whole thing opens up. The treasure box opens up, you see? So it's the key, it's the reading, yes, okay? That's very important. What else? Yeah, prashadam, right? If you have taste for eating prashadam, you prefer to eat prashadam over any food. You see what I'm saying? You prefer that it is first offered to Krishna before you eat it. That's love of Krishna. If you don't mind, if you don't mind eating food that is not offered to Krishna, that means that's not love for Krishna. You see what I'm saying? Love for Krishna means I want my food to be offered before I eat. I want Krishna to taste it first. Then I will eat. That means you have love for Krishna. These are symptoms of love of Krishna. Okay, now how do you go from there? And there are many other examples. You know, uh, I don't think we want to go through all of them because it takes a long time. There are lots of different ways you can love Krishna. So, uh, uh, how do you go from there to bhava, which means love of Krishna? So that's what's being explained here now. And Prabhupada says there are three things you can do. The three things that you can do. First is, you have the mercy of an Uttam Adhikari. First is the mercy of an Uttam Adhikari. This is why it is very important to serve advanced devotees of Krishna. Because advanced devotees of Krishna, they will give mercy. How do they give mercy? They want you to also taste what they are tasting. You see? Because they feel you are a nice person. Krishna will be very happy to be with you. Because you are not interested in trying to cheat anybody, you are not trying to hurt anybody. You're just a nice person, you know? Just like, for example, the mother thinks that my baby is a nice person, right? She never thinks anything against the baby. 
She's always thinking everything is, my baby is perfect. I mean, when the baby is a baby, when they grow up a little, they become little, uh, they have a little, you know, mind of their own. That's a different story. Then the mother might be a little angry, why you did something wrong, this, that, and the other. But I'm talking about when the child is a baby, and the baby is not, at that time you don't think the baby is thinking for herself or himself, you know. It's just a little baby. One week old, two weeks old, one month old, you know, two month old baby. That baby, the mother does not think anything against the baby. No matter what the baby does, the baby could poop all day long. The mother is okay. The baby may cry all day long. The baby may do so many things that are not easy for the mother. But the mother thinks, my baby is the best. You see? So, when the, when the advanced devotee sees a devotee in that mood, in an innocent mood, you know, simple-hearted mood, then the advanced devotee will give mercy to that devotee. Because the advanced devotee will think, this is person is actually good character person. This is a nice person. This person should actually develop real love for Krishna. So that's one uh, thing that helps us. Second, Prabhupada says, is visiting holy places like Vrindavan and Mathura. Or to speak of living in holy places. So if you live in the Dham, then you will get, like say for example, this is a Dham. This is Kalachanji Dham, because the Lord is here. His devotees are here. Uh, and so if you live in the Dham, or you like to visit the Dham, right? And you like to visit Vrindavan in India, you like to visit uh, Mayapur, places like that, right? So then for us, we will come to the platform of Rati or Bhava. Then the third reason, the third thing he says is performing devotional activities in the association of pure devotees. So Prabhupada described that all devotees in his movement are pure. Because there are two definitions of pure devotee. A, one definition of a pure devotee is a devotee who is completely pure. They have no other desire but to please Krishna. Everything they do is to please Krishna. They always remember Krishna and they never forget Krishna. Okay, that's a very high platform. That's not an easy platform to reach. The second pure devotee definition is one who is following such a person is also a pure devotee. Just like a person who's taking a shower is also considered clean. Person who has showered is considered clean, right? After they finish the shower, they're clean. But the person who's entering the shower also is considered clean because it's just a little matter of time and they're going to be clean also. You know, and the dirt is going off quite quickly. So they're considered clean as well. You see what I'm saying? So for us, because we are in the association of Srila Prabhupada, in the association of our spiritual masters, in this association of other advanced devotees, we are considered to be performing devotional activities in association of pure devotees. So these three things will allow us to rise to the platform of Rati. Then Prabhupada says, now what will stop us? Okay, those things will help us, right? Become, uh, to have rati, to have bhava. But what will stop us? What are the things that will stop us? And Prabhupada actually lists altogether five things that he says will stop us. The first thing he says is serious offenses at the feet of pure devotees reduce rati abhas to almost nil. So you lose all your credit pretty much all your credit if you commit serious offenses at the feet of pure devotees. So 
So that is never to offend a devotee. Today we were reading in the uh, morning class on uh, on Chaitanya Charitamrita that every devotee, the more advanced you are as a devotee, you will see other devotees advanced also. Because you'll recognize why they're advanced. Why they're advanced, why our devotees are advanced is because they're seriously trying, sincerely trying to become pure devotees. Okay, so they have some past conditioning as a result of which past conditioning there may be some leftover impurities, right? But they're trying to get rid of those impurities. The example is given that when a fan is swinging at full speed and then you switch off, right? Once the switch has gone off, you can say the fan is off. The fan is off, right? But, but the fan might still be spinning because it is not finished its rotation yet. You see, it's winding down. But at that stage, you have to say that it is actually off. It is not on. The fan is not on. If someone says, why do you leave the fan on? Because, no, it's not on. It's off. You see what I'm saying? The same way, a devotee who is sincerely trying to become a pure devotee is considered a pure devotee. Therefore, you cannot offend such a devotee. In fact, the opposite should be done. One should appreciate that devotee. That the devotee is making an attempt to really become a serious devotee of Krishna. You see what I'm saying? And we should have faith in that devotee. Now, even if that devotee disagrees with us, may even be unhappy with us, that is okay. That is not our business. What some devotee does, what another devotee does is their business. What I do is my business. Right? So we all have to understand that. What I do, meaning each and every one of us is thinking like that. What you are doing is your business. What somebody else is doing is their business. It is not their business that is going to make you advanced in Krishna consciousness. It is your business that's going to make you advanced in Krishna consciousness. So even if some nice devotee is unhappy with you and does bad things to you, from your definition point of view, bad things, because remember, he or she is only doing that because Kala Chanji is making that person do it. There may be a reason. We don't understand the reason. But anyway, it is bad. We shouldn't get all caught up in the fact, oh, devotee is doing something bad and we become unhappy. No, we should remember that is, they will get the consequence for what they are doing. So we should mm. ignore Prabhuji at the time? Yeah, not ignore, but the idea is that we should understand that point, that really I have to continue with my integrity. If someone loses their integrity, it doesn't mean I should lose my integrity too. Just like we say, somebody jumps off the cliff, doesn't mean I also go and jump off the cliff. You see what I'm saying? Now, we're not saying they jumped off the cliff, but we may think they're jumping off the cliff. We may think that person is doing the wrong thing. Now, two wrongs don't make a right. So the idea here is to understand that we see devotees only in the right light. We don't see them in the wrong light. Now, when we do see something wrong, that doesn't mean we ignore it. Why we don't ignore it is because you have to adjust your activity accordingly. Otherwise, you might help the person continue doing something wrong. You might harm the person in some way, push them away further or something like that. You don't want to do that. You don't want to encourage somebody doing the wrong thing. Now, that doesn't mean you have to fight with that devotee. You can intelligently figure out how to deal with it. And sometimes the best thing to do might be to just move away from there, to ignore it, like you're saying, right? That might be sometimes the best decision, but that's not always the best decision. It depends on the circumstance. You see what I'm saying? Sorry? The idea is always to help, but sometimes ignoring is also helping. You see what I'm saying? 
The idea is helping means if the person is ready to accept help, right? Then you can help. If the person doesn't want your help, in fact, when you try to help, the person becomes angry at you even more. Then if you try to help at that time, that may not be very good directly, right? But you may help. How can you help? How can you help if the person says, no, I don't want to see your face. I don't want you around me. And you still want to help the person. What can you do? We can approach some senior Yeah, you can approach another senior devotee. You please help this person out. Okay, that's one thing. What else? Huh? You can pray. You can pray for that person, right? You can pray. Please, Kalachanji, you are sitting in the heart of this living entity, of this devotee. You please make the arrangement. That's a very powerful way to do it. Because then Krishna thinks, oh, this person has faith in me, no? I can do. I can do. That's a very powerful way to do it. But yes, talking to a senior devotee is also very helpful. Because a senior devotee may be able to reach that person. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so you might use multiple methods. But it is not always the case that you can help. But if you can help, you must help. You must help if you can help. If it does help by your helping, then yes, absolutely, directly. You can do that. And definitely you can do that. Okay, so the one is to avoid serious offenses at the feet of pure devotees. Now, why it says serious offenses is because we are always offending anyway. Because our nature is to offend. Where did our nature of offending come from? Our past. We've been conditioned in the past. This world is conditioned to offend people. You know? The whole world is trained. In your business, you are trained to offend people. In school, you are trained to offend people. At home, you are trained to offend people. Because those people at home are also offenders who have learnt it from their parents, who learnt it from their parents. There's a whole parampara of offenders. You know? For them, the religion is to offend. You see? So, there's a lot of cruelty in this world. A lot of cruelty. Especially as you become more advanced as a devotee, you see more and more cruelty around you. So, Krishna is ready to forgive you for those things because you are conditioned like that. You don't understand. You think it's the right thing to do. You see? Like, say, for example, in America, if they give you some steak to eat, right? What are they thinking? They're thinking they give you the best food. In fact, my way of saying thank you to you because you're a nice person is to give you a nice big steak to eat with potatoes. Steak and potatoes. Right? That means I really love you. Well, it's just the opposite of what the truth is, right? The truth is actually you harm the person. You help them do gohatya, or cow slaughter. So that is very offensive. But they don't know that because they've been conditioned to think it is okay to eat cow meat. Do you see what I'm saying? So, that's not the example I'm talking about in serious offenses, but I'm saying that, you know, like that, many things we're taught to do the wrong way. And if you try to tell the person, they still won't get it right. You know. My father goes for a walk every time, you know, and he walks, and he walks anti-clockwise. And I keep telling him, don't walk anti-clockwise, because anti-clockwise means you are giving blessing. And that's offensive. You should take blessings, not give blessings. Blessings you only give at the time when a person leaves their body. When they leave their body, then you anti-clockwise do parikrama of them. Why? You're blessing them with your devotion so that they may have a better destination in their life. But when they are alive, you don't do that. You work clockwise. You're taking blessing from them. Because you're always seeking blessings so that I may also make some progress in my Krishna. But they don't understand. They think, no, it's nothing wrong. What's the big deal if I walk anti-clockwise? And this is from a Vedic family. This is from a 
father of a devotee who actually knows what he's talking about and telling him, still doesn't listen, right? Why? Because the conditioning. You see what I'm saying? Past conditioning. So Krishna understands that. He doesn't blame the person for that. He understands, okay, that's not serious offense. That's an offense, but not serious offense. Serious offense means that you have considered a person not to be devotee when the person is devotee. Or you're dealing with a devotee in a way that is he's not a devotee instead of dealing him with him as if he is a nice devotee, a transcendental devotee. That is a serious offense. Second reason Prabhupada gives, second Amazing. thing that... Maybe some people, they approach bogus gurus, that is also an offense. Yeah, that is offense. If you, if you, if you as a devotee, you, you, you actually, as a devotee, if you uh, approach a bogus guru, then that is a serious offense, yes. Because the devotee, because the guru, bogus guru is not going to help you, he's going to harm you because he himself doesn't know what to do, how is he going to help you? What to do? Some people, suppose our family members, somewhere they're approaching them, how we can... No, but those, that's a different story. That's not a serious offense for them. Okay. Because they don't know better. Okay. They've been conditioned to approach bogus gurus all their lives, previous lives. That's why we're still in the material world. Because in the past we've been working with bogus gurus, right? Mm-hmm. This lifetime we've changed to a, 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 a good guru, a guru who is actually in parampara. You see what I'm saying? We had something here. One side heard Shilapurpa saying that when you approach God with bad intention in your heart, then you accept something which is bogus. Yeah, then you accept something that is bogus. Yeah, exactly. Because you're trying to cheat Krishna, so Krishna will cheat you too. As they surrender unto me, I reward them accordingly. So if we're trying to cheat Krishna, then Krishna also cheat us. And he's smarter than we are. So we're going to get cheated badly. You see what I'm saying? Better not to do that, like that. Then second, second uh, uh, thing that he says that, that hurts us is that less serious offenses produce an inferior quality of attachment. So now we come to that second category. Those offenses that are less serious. What they do is they create an inferior quality of bhava or attachment. Inferior quality attachment. So just like anything that is inferior quality, it doesn't work as well as the real quality stuff. You see? Just like, you know, if you buy a car that is inferior quality, then that car is going to give you trouble, right? On the main road, you're going and then it stops working. You know, and you have to pull it on the side and get out and flag somebody down because you need to go somewhere. And then you need to find a mechanic to come and fix it. You need to get a tow truck to take it to a place, get it fixed. All you were trying to do was go from one place to another. You ended up doing many other things now that had nothing to do with traveling from point A to point B because you have an inferior quality vehicle. You see what I'm saying? So like that, we're trying to go from material world to the spiritual world. So we've got an inferior quality vehicle. It's not going to get us there. So less serious offenses harm us in that way. Now, can an inferior quality vehicle be fixed and made into a superior quality vehicle? Yes. yes. You see? It can. But a serious offense can't do that. If you do a serious offense, that's like having a smash-up. Now you have to get a new car. You just get another car. You can't fix it. You really messed it up badly. You see what I'm saying? So the idea is don't mess your devotion up badly so that you have to start all over again. But if you have inferior quality devotion, you can make it superior quality by doing the things that we were told before, which is getting the mercy of Uttamadikari, visiting holy places, performing devotional service in the association of pure devotees. That will help us make the quality superior. 
Okay, but still, it does. It's not good to have a third-class vehicle, and it's not good to have third-class devotion in the same way. Not very good for us. Better to have second-class devotion. Best is first-class devotion, but second-class devotion is also good. Like I gave you a good example right now. You know, you're not supposed to do parikrama anti-clockwise. You're doing anti-clockwise. Well, that's not helping. You know, you're not taking your shower before you start chanting. Or you don't before you chant. You should wash your hands, feet, and face. It is the three things: your face, your hands, and your feet should be washed before you start chanting. But if you don't do that and you start chanting, that would be a less serious offense. You could have cleaned yourself easily, you know, before you started chanting, like that. Things like that. That's a less serious offense. And then, there are ten offenses. There are also less serious offenses. No, those ten offenses are serious offenses. Serious offenses. Those are serious yeah, because they say that these ten offenses actually will must be avoided, right? It says ten offenses to be avoided when chanting the holy names of the Lord, right? Avoided means you don't do them. These ones, you are doing it. Should also be avoided in a sense, but it's not that serious. You know, uh, another offense might be that that's not very serious offense is that uh, you know uh, 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 you go to the temple and you walk into the temple room with your shoes on. Okay, that's not a serious offense. You know, it's a less serious offense, but it is considered to be an offense of. A quality that is actually going to harm you, which tells you that you know you're supposed to be clean when you go inside the temple room, right? Why we take the shoes off is because we want to be clean when you walk into the temple room. It's a clean place. I want to walk in clean, so I don't walk in with my dirty shoes. But you might think, well, my shoes are very clean. I polished it, and everything is fine, and I walk in with the shoe. Well, that's not. Or you might even forget, right? Sometimes you forget. You're not thinking, and you walk in, and you realize, oh, I got my shoes on, and then run out again. And you take your shoes off, you know what I mean? Alright, that happens to us sometimes, right? Especially when you get older. Older devotees can forget things, you know? And so it happens. That's a less serious offense. Like that. That would be considered a less serious offense. One time, Prabhuji, I was talking to Namruchi Prabhu. He served Maharaj, he said at his place, in Maharaj, what he does, he keeps Achman cups for so many places. Yeah. They always wash their hands. Yeah, always doing purification like that, yeah. Maharaj, I saw that he always had a small bottle. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I saw that. Yeah. The temple also he keeps. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Three. The third thing that will actually uh, also cause uh, Abhas to go down to pretty much zero is attachment to staunch monists will cause Bhava to dwindle to Abhas. And ultimately, one will end up identifying himself with the object of his worship. So, people who are staunch mayavadis, you avoid the association of staunch mayavadis. What is monist? Monist means one who believes in God. Is we are all one with God? We are one with God. Impersonalist, yeah, mayavadis, impersonalists. They think that we are all one. Everyone, everything is one. God, me, the dog, they're all one. Monist, mono, mono means one, right? Mono, duo, like that. So mono means one. Everything is one. Everything is not one. You know what I mean? 
If everything was one, then their money is also my money, right? <laughs> so you just tell him, okay, just empty your bank account. You my bank account. Makes no difference to you, since we're all one. Give me all your money, you know what I mean? Or give me your house, give me your car. Or you become my servant, since we're all one. Let me tell you what to do now. If you do exactly what I have. Things like that, you know, then they don't agree. Then suddenly, no, everything is not one. You, know I mean? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So it's... There's a problem with their philosophy, you see. But anyway, some of them are very staunch uh, monists. And sometimes the member can, uh, can be a member of your family, very staunch. Yeah. The personalist can be a member of your family. Yes. So the idea is that as devotees, we have to be very careful when we're dealing with them that we don't become affected by their philosophy. See? Better not have it. Don't, don't become attached to them. Now you might say, well, he's my father. I have to be attached. My mother, I have to be attached. My wife, I have to be attached. Well, here the examples given that you shouldn't be attached. Be nice to them, but don't be attached. There's a difference between being nice and attached. You see, attached means that you'll do anything they say. You'll do anything for them. You know what I mean? No. I'm not going to do anything for you. Certain things we're not going to do. Because we don't, we don't like your philosophy. We don't like this idea that you are one with God, that you are God yourself. Because you're not God. But how could we influence them with devotion? And again, again, like you say, first we can pray mm -hmm. to Krishna. Two, you can, like Prabhuji suggested, here yeah, maybe some devotee can actually uh, help that person out from their position, yes. give them good counseling, advice, you know, uh, speak to them and help them come out of their bed. But even that may not help at times. Even a very powerful guru may not. Uh, remove somebody from their uh, impersonalist uh, position. So from our point of view, that's okay. We don't want to get caught in that situation, that's all. Don't. It's a little like, you know, you don't want to get uh, entangled in that web, you know, it's like a big web. You don't want to get caught in that web. Don't get caught in that type of philosophy. And read their books, because they'll, they're very love, love, smart at giving you books to read. Oh, read this book, it's very nice. We tell them, no, we got our own books. And when I finish reading my books, we'll think about reading some other books. We've got lots of books to read. <laughs> Let's finish our books first, you know what I mean? Then we'll talk about your books. In the meantime, why don't you read our books? Since you love reading books, why don't you read our books? So at least you understand our position, right? And then we can discuss, no? Because we understand your position, but you don't understand ours. So why don't you read? And then you'll see what they will say is, no, I can't read your book. Or when they start reading, they'll put it down quickly, where they get afraid. Oh my God, this, oh, no way. I'm not one with God, I'm not God, I'm dog, you know, no way, I'm not reading that. You know? I, I I'm the body, I'm not the son. I face those kind of people. Yeah. I offer the book. Yeah. Simply our uh, Ramayana. Yeah. Valmiki Ramayana. Yeah, yeah. So that itself, they read, they, they, yeah. they, they become afraid. You know, what is yeah. this? They become scared. Scared. Because they worry that their position is not correct now. Yeah. And they don't like to be defeated. So they think, oh, I, wouldn't, I cannot read. And they'll find many excuses. Oh, the book is too big. Yeah. Oh, I don't understand. Of course you don't understand. You can only understand what Krishna allows you to understand, right? So if you're not understanding, means Krishna is not allowing you to understand, means you must be a rascal, right? If Krishna is not allowing you to understand. Otherwise, even ordinary people can understand reading Prabhupada's books. They have become advanced devotees, right? They could understand what was being written in the book. Why? Because Krishna was giving them mercy. Prabhupada is giving them mercy. 
Krishna was giving them mercy. So they understood. At least something they understood. And they became attached. So if someone does not understand, it means that there must be some real problem. My question, uh, actually, um, one of my relatives, I don't know, this is not from the topic, actually, I'm aware. But um, one of my relatives goes to Ram Krishna Mission. Goes okay. to what mission? Ram Krishna Mission. Ram Krishna Mission, yeah. And uh, they are totally Mayavadis. Hmm. But my mom says that they, they read Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, they do. So how does Ram Krishna Mission and then Bhagavad Gita goes together? Yeah, because there are lots of Bhagavad Gitas, no? Yeah. There are more than... 900 versions or 1000 versions of Bhagavad Gita. So it depends what Bhagavad Gita they're reading. They're reading the wrong Bhagavad Gita, means written by a person who doesn't know what the Bhagavad Gita is. Never became a devotee, never got trained up. You see, it's just like, say for example, there is medical science there, right? Teaching how one can practice medicine, right? And I, who know nothing about medicine, decide I'm going to write the books of medical science, right? Do you think a smart person should read that book and then become a nice uh, doctor? No, because I had no idea what medical science was. How I can write about medical science? I'm not trained myself. So only a devotee can write about spiritual topics because they're trained, properly trained. You see, they're in parampara, they're properly trained. They can write. But one who's not trained and they write, why do they write? They write because they want to make some money or get some fame or something, right? They're looking for becoming rich and famous. This is why they're professional, what you call professional reciters of Bhagavad Gita or Srimad Bhagavatam, like that. These people are offenders. We have to stay very far away from them. So, from the Ramakrishna mission, no, they do read Prabhupada's books, by the way. So it depends. If they're reading from Prabhupada's book, it's pretty good. But if they're not reading from Prabhupada's book, then you're wasting your time with them. Because they've got the wrong information. And they're feeding the wrong information. So it's like feeding poison to someone. It's not going to cure the person when you feed poison. You're going to kill them. So their information is poisonous. That's the problem with it. Okay. So for like us, uh, like me, and uh, I will not have an opportunity. Or I don't. I can't stay in the places like the holy places, uh, like Vrindavan or Madura or something. No, no, you can, you can, you can. If you have all of Prabhupada's books in your house, that is a holy place. So is that literal? literal meaning is that? No, it's literal. This is lit- literal meaning of holy place is a place that is imbued with the spiritual energy of Lord Chaitanya. The word Chaitanya means spiritual force, right? Lord Chaitanya's energy is the spiritual force that actually allows us to make advancement in Krishna consciousness. So if you have Srila Prabhupada's books in your house, then your house is actually a Tirtha. It is actually a Dhamma. You're staying in a holy place. You can only stay in a holy place. Now, that is why you should always carry a book of Srila Prabhupada wherever you go. So that wherever you go, you are in the Dhamma. Because the book is with you. Prabhupada's book is with you. The Bhagavad Gita is with you. Nectar of Devotion is with you. Chaitanya Charitamrita, Krishna book. These are all very, very powerful books that are actually, around them, they carry a whole atmosphere of spiritual force. It's not an ordinary book. This book has spiritual force. 
If you could see the light from this book, you will see it goes very far. The light, light reaches very far. You see what I'm saying? So anybody in that area will be in the dham. Now there's a problem in being in the dham also, because if you commit offenses in the dham, your offenses multiply thousand times, ten thousand times. So, but if you do something good in the dham, that also multiplies thousand times, ten thousand times. Right? So for devotees, we have to be always very careful. Now where you chant the holy names of the Lord, that is also the dham. Because that is the spiritual force of the holy name. The Lord himself is present when the holy name is being chanted, right? Because the holy name of the Lord and the name and the Lord are non-different. You see what I'm saying? So yes, you can always stay in the dham. In fact, we hope you never leave the dham. You're always in the dham wherever you are. You see what I'm saying? So definitely that's happening. Second thing is, you are performing devotional service. Well, or devotional activities. Everything you're doing is supposed to be devotional. You're only doing it for Krishna's pleasure. Therefore, it's called devotional. Devotional means that it is pleasing to Krishna, right? Therefore, it's devotional. So, the reason you're brushing your teeth is because you're trying to please Krishna, Guru and Krishna. That's why you're brushing your teeth. You're not brushing your teeth so that your teeth can be nice and clean. And when you die, you have clean teeth. So when they bury you or they burn you, then they say, oh, this person had clean teeth. It was very nice. No, that's not the reason we have clean teeth. We have clean teeth because we want to please Krishna. Everything we do is only to please. Even when you go to the bathroom to defecate, right? We're doing it to please Guru and Krishna. Anything that we're doing, we're only doing for one reason, to please Guru and Krishna. That's why we're doing it. Then that is act doing devotional activities. In the association of pure devotees, who are the pure devotees in your house? Any other devotee who is in the house is also a pure devotee? One, two, the wife, the children, whoever, the husband, whoever. Two, Srila Prabhupada's books. Yeah, pure devotee means two definitions, right? One definition is a person who is totally pure. The second definition is one who is following somebody who is pure. He is also considered pure. Remember I just said that earlier. One who is taking a shower is also considered clean. So they are pure devotees. Yes. You are in their association. The books of Krishna are all pure devotees. They are also Bhagavata. Right? Pure devotee is Bhagavata. The book is also Bhagavata. Book is a person. Book is not thing. It's a person. We can worship the book. You can pray to the book. You can ask the book for a boon. It can give you a boon. You're chanting beads are a person, right? There's a queen. Tulsi Maharani. Japamala Maharani. She's a queen. The queen can do a lot, right, for a person. If someone goes to the queen and says, Oh, my dear queen, please help me buy a, a big castle. She can buy you a big castle because she's a queen. Queen can do anything, right? King, queen, they can do anything. They're very rich. So Japamala is very wealthy. She can do anything. She's a transcendental queen. You can roll the bead and ask for something, it will happen. Even a genie can't do what Japamala can do. You see what I'm so you have a lot of association. Prabhupada's whole system is a system of association. That is why I called it international society. Who is in that society? Tulsi Maharani, Japamala Maharani, Bhagata. So many people in that society. Prabhupada, Krishna, Radharani, Jagannath, Baldev, Subhadra. So many people in our society, right? These are all our society. 
not just us, all people in our society. Vlad Maharaj, yeah, all, all in our society. So in the association, if you're doing activity, that will make us advance to the point of Rati. Right. Yeah. And the body is a temple of the Lord, yes, it is a holy place. That is true. That is true. Because the body does not belong to us. It belongs to the Guru. No, it belongs to Guru. When you took initiation, you gave your body to the Guru. It does not belong to you after that. It belongs to the Guru. He can do whatever he likes with it. And sometimes you learn a hard lesson. He's going to tell you things to do you may not like to do. You have no choice. You're going to have to do it. You gave the body, it belongs to him. It doesn't belong to you anymore. That's why you have to look after it nicely too. And be careless with your body. You see that thing? It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to our Guru Maharaj. So if you take care of that body now, just like if Guru Maharaj gave you a car, you have to take care of that car, right? You can't just say, it's not my car, who cares? No, it's Guru Maharaj's car. I have to take very nice care of it. I may not take care of my nice own car, but I will take care of my Guru Maharaj's car properly. Right? Fact or not? Jayapataka Maharaj gave you a car, what will you do? You look after the car very nicely, right? In fact, you'll worship that car. <laughs> belongs to the spiritual master. It's worshipable. Yes. Belongs yeah. to the spiritual Yeah, it's worshipable. That's why including beads, yeah. Give, right? so yeah. keep it for our life. That's right. Yeah. Always keep the beads with you. Prabhupada, when he would see beads like this, he would actually complain. <laughs> he would say, not good. He said, beads should always be hanging in your neck. Beads should never be away from you. They should always be with you. Because they are more important than I am. My beads are more important than I am. I keep my body with me, why I'm not keeping the beads with me? The beads is Jabamala Maharani. She's a queen. I have to look after the queen nicer than I look after myself, right? Then she is queen. Otherwise, I'm thinking I'm king, and she's ordinary subject. She's not ordinary subject. Like that. So we have to be careful. Prabhu, when we go out somewhere, and we should take the beads. Uh, the advice is given. You take another set of beads. Yeah, not. Because you don't want to lose your beads. But if you can, it's better to keep your own beads with you wherever you go. But then you have to look after them. You can't like you know. While you're talking, put it on the top of the car and then drive off and the bead falls somewhere and you don't know where your bead is because you know, the devotees have done things like that. Yeah. You know? they, they go and before they open the car, they put the bead on the top of the car to open the door. They open the door, sit inside, take off, the bead falls down somewhere and then they don't know where the bead's gone now. And then they look for the beads and they think, where did I lose my beads? And they forget that they put it on top of the car and it was not supposed to be put there. You see what I'm saying? And they lose their initiation beads. So sometimes spiritual masters are very kind, they will again chant on another set of beads and give it to you, but a lot of spiritual masters will not chant again. They tell you, if you lose your initiation beads, it's your problem. That means you didn't care about your beads. You should die with your beads in your hands. Initiation beads. Yeah, that's the idea. But sometimes it may not be practical because you might have gone somewhere. Sorry? No, 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 no. It's not an alternative. It's you're trying to protect your beads. You might go to a place where the beads might be, you might lose them, right? Because you're inattentive, you know, you're at a party or something, and beads might get lost. 
So yeah, so at that time, but those are extra rounds. What rounds you chant on not your beats are your extra rounds. You still chant your 16 rounds on your beats. But you can chant extra rounds on another set of beats. Only because you're trying to protect your beats, not because you're being lazy or because you like to chant on some other beats. You understand the point? Idea is to protect the beats. To protect the beats, you might leave them at home because you're a careless person. You don't know how to look after your beats, so better leave it at home, right? So you don't lose it. You see what I'm saying? In that case, all the beat chanting you did outside is extra rounds. You come back and finish your 16 rounds on your beats. Sorry? It's counted. Extra rounds are always counted. Every round is counted. You know? And generally what people do is that they touch their beats to the other beats. You see? They, they keep the beats together, yeah, and they chant like that. Like, say, for example, if you've got two sets of beads, these are not, I don't have two sets of beads. I have one Prabhupada set and one, one, one uh, that's my set. This set is Prabhupada chanted on this one. Okay, I was given this as a gift by my spiritual master. But I keep this in my hand like that. But I chant on these beads. I don't chant on this beat. This is Prabhupada's beads. I cannot chant on Prabhupada's beads. But I can touch it while I am chanting on my beads. That gives me extra strength when I'm chanting. Because Prabhupada's beads are helping me chant nicely on my beads. Right? Now sometimes you might have an extra set of beads. Right? So you keep your extra set of beads like this too. On your third finger. Like almost like a ring in your third finger. Hold it there and then you chant on these ones. So because these beads are touching each other, the other beads also become... They become spiritualized, right? They become empowered by these beads. Because these beads have been chanted by the spiritual master. So they're not... They're very special beads. They belong to the spiritual master. It's not my set of beads. They're my spiritual master's beads that he has given to me. So that I may chant properly and become fully Krishna conscious. Because chanting process is the best process of becoming Krishna conscious. You see what I'm saying? So you might keep a second set of beads like that. And then at times you go outside, you take this set. I'm not this one. This Prabhupada set. <laughs> yeah. But whatever your second set is, you might take that out with you. But whenever you come back, they sit in the same bead bag. And you can chant on the other beads. And you don't have to even hold it in your hand. You can be sitting in the bead bag and this one is chanting, but it's touching the other beads. So it's purifying the other beads, right? They're also Tulsi Mala. So it's pure. Tulsi Mala is pure. You see what I'm saying? So these are different techniques that you can use. Another way to do it is to ask a devotee who's more senior to you to chant on that extra set of beads. Okay? Sometimes people do that. They, they'll ask me to chant on their set of beads. It's not the initiated set of beads. It is an uninitiated beat, but I'll chant on it just so that they have it with them. And then whenever they're chanting on that beat, extra rounds, it's still a beat that's been chanted on by a devotee who is senior to that person. You see what I'm saying? So then they can get the benefit of that chanting. This is always the parampara method of chanting. You see what I'm saying? Like that. So these are different methods. Huh? One dumb question, bro. Suppose initiated uh, beats, they broke. Broke in the sense that chain broke. Yeah. Can we repair it properly? Yes, you can, but you have to make sure the order is the same. Uh, do not change the order of the beads. Okay. So basically what you should do is give it to someone who knows how to repair broken beads. Now there are people in Vrindavan, they do that, they prepare, they know this process. Okay. They'll make sure they don't change the order of the beads. Yeah, and even if the bead has fallen out, mm -hmm. they can tell the order. Uh -huh. Because they are so pure themselves, they can tell the order. I cannot tell the order of my own beads, but they can tell the order of my beads. 
because they come from a parampara of persons who do that type of service. They know how to do that service. So like I, I've broken my beads once like that. And then the bead fell out. So two beads fell out. So I didn't know which one went first and which one went second. You see what I'm saying? So I took it to Vrindavan, to this person in Vrindavan, who actually does this type of work. And he told me this bead comes first, this bead comes second. And he repaired it for me. And I'm chanting on those beads today. It's never broken again. Okay. But it can break because, you know. How can we take It can break. Any beads can break. Yeah. Because it's uh, got material that might actually over... I mean, this is now 32 years old, these beads. You know what I mean? So in 32 years, it might break because it... Or whatever, it might be inattention on my part. I give it too much tension or something and it broke. It's a rope. It's a rope, yeah. yeah. It is, yeah, it can break. See, the one way to avoid it breaking is to dip it in mustard oil. What some people do is they put it in mustard oil and then they put it in the sun. They put it in the sun and then they dry it in the sun. So now because the mustard oil has gone into the, uh, into the thread, the thread becomes stronger. So it doesn't break as quickly, you see what I'm saying? But even then it can break. I did that, but it still broke. That Because I was so offensive. Uh, my boots broke anyway, you see what I'm saying? So then what I did was, I took it to Bindavan. I chanted another set of beads. I was fortunate, I had two sets of beads my spiritual master chanted on. The reason was not because I'm a favorite disciple or anything. What had happened was, this was my initiated set of beads. And then in our temple, my house was next to the temple, we used to grow a nice big tulsi tree. In Fiji, the tulsi trees go seven feet, eight feet high. Yeah. And they become very thick like that. You know? So this was a very high tulsi tree and it died. So, so I went to my spiritual master and asked him, what should we do? The, so he said, you should make a set of beads. Why don't you make a set of beads out of it? I thought, wow, that's a wonderful idea. I have that beads, very big because it's thick, very thick uh, you know, beads. So I said, Guru Maharaj, I made the beads. I showed it to him and he said, well, I'd like to chant on it. I said, that's good. So he chanted on it. Not because it was my beads. He wanted to chant on it. Nobody had chanted on it. I didn't want it. It's so big. You know, it's like hard to move the bead. You know, it's just big, big beads, you know, like that. Huh? Yeah. I saw Guru Goswami's beads like this. Yeah, they're huge, right? Huge. Yeah, like that. So, you know, so he chanted on it. So I have that set if I want to chant. But I don't use the set because it's too big. You know what I mean? Not practical for me to chant. Plus, I, you know, why should I? I have my beads. I'll chant on these beads. But the point is that, you know, that uh, 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 if anything happens to the set of beads, then you can chant on another set of beads. And basically, to chant another set, it may, may not be initiated, may not be chanted on by your spiritual master, but it may be chanted on by some senior devotee, your temple president or somebody like that. You can give it to them. Please chant one round on it so that I can now use that until my beads get repaired. Because it may take a while before you go to Vrindavan, right? Vrindavan is not tomorrow for us, most of us. <laughs> We're not that rich. I can go to Vrindavan tomorrow if my beads break, you know. <laughs> it's, you have to wait until you go to Vrindavan next time. And then in the meantime, you need a set of beads to chant on, right? Like that. So probably, if in case, are you saying if you have that kind of situation, so if you already chanted on that bit, you can still give that same beat to other devotee, or if you already chanted on that second set of beads? Or you have yeah. to be a fresh... No, no, no. It can be your... It's a second set that you have not been chanted by anybody else except you, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, you can give that. Is that okay? okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Devotee has no problem. Okay. That's fine. Um, okay. Alright, so let's move on. Alright, so the next thing it says here is that a person seen to have bhava, a person seen to have bhava without undergoing spiritual practices must have achieved the status in his previous life. 
Let's continue. Yeah, so this is a person seen to have bhava without undergoing spiritual practices must have achieved the status in his previous life. Now, so, but we cannot imitate that person. That's what the point is here is. You can't imitate. Oh, see, he never did any chanting and he looks like he has love of Krishna. You know what I mean? Well, maybe in his last life he did a lot of chanting, didn't finish. So in his life is continuing now. He already had love of Krishna at that time. It means uh, uh, Abhas, And he's now coming through and finishing. You can't imitate such a person. Because he's obviously done it in his previous life. Like that. You see what I'm saying? So sometimes we see some devotees are very advanced, but they don't seem to be very, uh, uh, what you call, uh, practicing their Krishna consciousness very nicely. So previously, in their previous life, they might have done something. You see? We don't criticize them. I never saw you chanting. That means you're not good devotee. Finish. I never saw you chanting. So you're not good devotee. Don't speak like that. You never know. person might have done chanting in their previous life, right? They're not chanting now. They were chanting in their previous life, and therefore they got the benefit of that. And so whatever the credit they got, they're not going to lose that credit, right? Because spiritual credit is permanent. Unless, of course, you commit some great offense. Then you lose it. But otherwise, it's permanent. So we have to be careful. The idea is don't look at others. Look at what you have to do for yourself. Don't try to judge others, you know, judge yourself like that. Prabhupada used to say very nicely in English, be strict with yourself, lenient with others. We like to be opposite, strict with others, lenient with myself. That's not right. That's the opposite of what it should be. You see what I'm saying? And then final point Prabhupada makes is a person, if a person who has developed bhava seen to accidentally deviate, if we see that they're deviating, no one should show any malice towards him. He should still be counted amongst pure devotees. So even if a person is fall down, right? It's an accidental fall down. Why? The person didn't want to fall down. Past conditioning causes the fall down. Couldn't give up drinking liquor. Couldn't give up eating meat. Couldn't give up uh, illicit sex. Could not give up uh, gambling. Yeah, thank you. Gambling. You see? Previous life. We shouldn't think, oh, I saw that person drinking liquor. Oh, means not pure devotee. Like I'm Lord Chaitanya and Lord Krishna or something. I know everything about that person. And I can say, I cannot say. I don't know anything. I don't even know myself what to speak of somebody else. Lord Chaitanya used to go to people's houses who were drunkards. And people used to complain to him. Why are you going to drunkards' houses? Because they are pure devotees. He knew them. They, from their previous life, they were doing pure devotion. But in this life, they could not give up attachment, to, uh, give up attachment for liquor. Right? And Krishna says, I am the taste in in liquids. I am the taste. So he, he's the taste of liquor also, right? So someone really has a lot of taste for liquor, they actually have taste for Goranga Mahaprabhu. They have taste for Krishna. It Maybe that's what they have the taste for. How do we know? Now, that doesn't mean I should also go and drink some liquor because it tastes very nice. That is uh, let me, that's imitation now. Because it's not, I only have the taste because I want to enjoy the Sensation, right? The tense, the tongue, whatever the reason is that we drink liquor. That's not right. But some others, they, they do it, well, it's their past conditioning. We don't... Again, how do we deal with it? We ask some senior authority person to take care of it. Or we pray for that person. My Lord, please help the person. So if, they, if it is bad attachment, you please help that person, overcome their bad attachment. 
it is good attachment, then it's okay. Let him continue. Drinking liquor is not going to stop a person going back to Godhead. It is not. Because it is not a, uh, what you call, uh, a serious offense. If the person is very Krishna conscious and that a weakness that they have, one weakness that they have is they drink liquor. I mean, which is worse, drinking liquor or being offensive? You know, they, there's that Hindi song, right? Mene pi sharab. Right? Tune kya piya? Tune kya piya? Admi ka khun. You see what I'm saying? So, it's, it's like that. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so a person has got some weakness. Don't hold the weakness against them. Help them. Like Prabhuji was saying, we can help them. But don't judge them in a way that I become superior. Yeah. Understand that I have my own problems. I need to deal with those problems. You know? I am not pure. I don't have real taste for Krishna. I mean, if you read Bhaktivinoda Thakur's songs, he clearly says he does not have any taste for Krishna. And he's, he's a Goswami. The very pure Goswami. Not just pure. He's the purest of Goswamis. In fact, he was the most advanced devotee in creation when he was here. Even more advanced than Lord Shiva. In one song he said, Amitumar Kukur. Yeah. It's a dog. Yeah. Yeah. That is the attitude of a devotee. See, that he's looking at himself. He's not looking at others and saying, Oh, you are like that. No, he's saying, I am like that. This is a very important point. You know, today's Chaitanya Chaitanya class was saying the same thing. That once we understand that I am the one who needs to be corrected, I am the one who needs to advance, then we can see others are actually advanced. And we will stop offending them, you know. And we'll stop and we'll start praising them, start trying to be nice with them and helping them, um, uh, being friendly to them like that. And the example was given of uh, Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya is like most advanced devotee at the time of Goranga Mahaprabhu. And he used to think that Ramananda Rai was a, a materialistic person who was attached to family life and politics. Then when he became a disciple himself, Sarvabhamata Bhattacharya became disciple of uh, Gauranga Mahaprabhu, he realized that actually Ramananda Rai is actually uh, Paramahamsa, transcendentalist Paramahamsa. Param uh, transcendentalist is high enough. Transcendentalist Paramahamsa means what? Prabhupada is a transcendentalist Paramahamsa. Okay? This is before Ramananda Rai meets Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and becomes his disciple. This is before that Sarvabhaumacharya Bhattacharya understood he was already a uh, transcendental Paramahamsa. And he says, my view changed just because I became disciple of Gauranga Mahaprabhu. Now I could see this person is actually transcendental Paramahamsa. Before that I used to think he's a Vishayi. Vishayi. Vishayi means one who is interested in material life and interest. Yeah, yeah. No, he was asking what Vishayi means. Oh. You see what I'm saying? These are very important points. And in the nectar of devotion, these points are being stressed for us so that we understand the attitude of a devotee is the secret of success. Prabhupada says the secret of success is the humble attitude of a devotee. The humble attitude of service of a devotee is the secret of his or her success. The humble attitude of service. 
So we should have a humble attitude of service. Humble attitude of service is H-A-S. Humble attitude of service. Yes. Has. Remember that. Then that's your secret. You have a humble attitude of service. So I have one question here. Sure. I mean, we all know that humility will help us immediately yes. to get your reward for. Yes. And you all tried. It's the crown jewel of a devotee. Huh? It's the crown jewel crown of a devotee. It's the crown of a devotee. It's the crown jewel that sits right in the front. And we all yeah. tried to be humble or best. Still, we lack this quality. Humility, yes. Because because Krishna wants us to become more humble, that's why. The more hum humility we have, just like a rich person is great, right? But a richer person is better, right? You meet a rich person, you say, oh, very nice. Now you meet a person who is much richer than him, you think, oh, that's better. <laughs> right? So you may we may have humility, but there is no end to the amount of humility we can have. The highest humility is called Dania. Dini means to become utterly humble, so humble that we think there is nobody in this world who is uh, uh, lesser than me. Every devotee is way, every person, including the bug, is more advanced than I am. That's how a Dini devotee thinks. Dini devotee thinks, I am the rock bottom. I'm the rock bottom. Not just the rock bottom, I am real rock bottom, so rock bottom, it's clear, there's a clear gap between me and the next person who is at the rock bottom. There's a huge gap. You see what I'm saying? That's a Dania devotee. So that level of humility we've not got yet, right? I don't think any of us thinks I am the worst devotee on the planet or the worst person. Worst devotee is still good because the worst devotee is still 10,000 times better than the best karmi, Prabhupada says. So worst devotee is still very good. You're way beyond 10,000 times better than the best karmi. But what about if you are the worst living entity on the creation, the creation? The worst living entity in creation. How many people think I am the worst living entity in creation? You know, that anybody who looks at me will go to hell because they are darshan of me. They'll automatically go to hell because I am so bad. That is the quality of Dania. That is the quality we are supposed to have. <laughs> <laughs> this is why nobody wants to become devotee. <laughs> they think, oh, this is very hard. <laughs> if I think like that myself, that means that I have no self-esteem, right? Yes. And in this world they teach you, you should have self-esteem. Why you have no self-esteem? What's wrong with you? But actually it's what's right with you. You have no self-esteem? That's very good. You don't need to have self-esteem. You don't have any esteem. What esteem you have? What esteem anybody has? Nothing. Whatever they have, is Badolat, the spiritual master, right? Or Krishna, Guru and Krishna. Anything anybody has is purely the mercy of Guru and Krishna. No other reason they have that. No other reason. Okay? So, you know, like the Hindi mein there's a saying, right? Jitka izzati nahi, uska baizdi kaisi. You see what I mean? For one who has no respect, where is the question of? Loss of respect. You don't have it. So how can you lose something you don't have? You don't have respect, so how could you lose respect? You see what I'm saying? So our point is that we should understand that anything I have, any good I have, is purely the reflection of my spiritual master's qualities and the mercy of Krishna. It is the only reason I have anything that is worth talking about, 
or understanding like that. You see? You can't have any other understanding. That's why it says humble attitude of service. Utterly humble. Utterly is utterly there was utterly means there is nothing less after that, nothing left after that. It's utterly humble. In our philosophy there is the saying one should become more humble than a blade of grass and more tolerant than a tree. That is not denia. If you are more humble than a blade of grass and you are more tolerant than a tree, that is not denia. That is humility, but that's not denia. Denia means even more than that now. You go even down further than that, then comes denia. You see what I'm saying? So denia is not easy to achieve. And without denia, there can be no prem. So we're going to be advancing from harati to prem now. And when prem comes, you will see there is no question of any pride at all. It's completely zero pride, zilch pride. Nobody has any pride in their person. No pride left. And it is a position that is not easy to achieve. I mean... There are examples of even gopis failing the test. And the gopis are the most advanced devotees in creation. And Krishna shows, not because they failed the test, but to teach us that look how advanced the gopis are, and still I consider they have not passed the test. Then what is the test for you? You understand? There it's the gopis are helping us by, just like Arjuna was helping us by being confused in philosophy, right? Arjuna knew the philosophy very well. He's a pure devotee of Krishna. He's Vishaka, the right-hand uh, gopi of Radharani. You know what I mean? What does Vishaka not know? Vishaka knows everything. Vishaka is actually guru of Krishna. But in in in, in Bhomalila, she's accepting the position of Arjuna, who is expressing some doubts. You see what I'm saying? Why? Because Yogamaya is covering her so that she will express himself for whose benefit? For our benefit. So we understand, or we might think we are very advanced, but we are actually not advanced. We are not advanced. So the nectar of devotion is there to bring out these types of qualities. This is why study of nectar of devotion is very important. Because nectar of devotion is not different from Radharani. Just like the Krishna book is not different from Krishna. The nectar of devotion is not different from Radharani. And so Radharani is through nectar of devotion teaching us through her best servant, who is Rupa Manjari, teaching us, you have to have these qualities if you want to come to the forest of Vrindavan. This is the type of people who come to the forest of Vrindavan, who have utter humility, who have denya, who have odarya. Odarya means very uh, generous towards other living entities. Very generous. So generous that they're ready to give their life. Just like a devotee, I said, uh, at initiation day, gave his or her body to Guru. I mean, that's Odarya. It's not good enough, but it's still Odarya. That's Odarya, right? How many people will give their body to another person and say, from now on, my body belongs to you. How many people in this world will say, yeah, I'd like to take initiation? If that's what it means, you know what I mean? Most of us took initiation. We didn't even know that we did that, right? In fact, if we had, we might have thought about it a little more and said, oh, do I really want to give this? <laughs> Maybe I should think about this, you know what I mean? Am I really ready 
to say my body belongs to my spiritual master. Are we really ready? You know what I mean? But the point is that it is what we are doing at the time of initiation. We are giving our body to our spiritual master. That's why all the sin is gone. Because it's no longer my body. So all the attendant sins go to the spiritual master. That is why it is said a devotee should not consider commit sins. Because then the spiritual master gets affected. This is why most spiritual masters suffer from bad health and bad reputation and bad so many reasons, things, right? Why they suffer like that is because of the sins of the disciples. You had a question, probably? Let me answer. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I have a few questions. Um, one is, I was wondering about, um, when you were talking about earlier about other, other books, like Narasimhalaya, but you know, Krishna is unlimited. There are so many books, there are so many other literatures Srila Prabhupada now translate, like Garuda Burana, Padma Burana. So is it wrong to aspire to read some of these? They should be read if properly interpreted. Those are part of the Vedic uh, Vedic pantheon of uh, of books. But you know, chances are that we may not get a translation that is an accurate translation in bhakti with a because any book can be translated from the point of view of jnana, karma or bhakti, you see then say yoga. It said uh, uh, karma, jnana, yoga, bhakti. You know, like that. So, if they're translated from the point of view of bhakti, then that's fine. But if they're not, what you're doing is you're stepping down to a lower grade of devotion. And that will, like this says here, sooner or later it will remove your devotion that you had for Krishna. So, idea is the reason we don't read from other sampradayas is not because those sampradayas are bad. It is because it, it weakens our position. Because what we're trying to achieve here is to re-enter the pastimes in the forest of Vrindavan, which is where the highest devotees are actually associating with Krishna in pure love, in what is called Madhurya Bhav, you know what I mean? So to do that, one has to rise to that level of, you know, it's a little like, say for example, assuming, uh, you know, a certain university, let's say whatever university, is the best university because its books are the highest standard, you know, things like that. Then if you read from the books of the other universities, then what it does is just you're just reducing your opportunity to get the best education, you see what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with those universities. They're good universities too, and you can have a nice life doing that too. But for, to be the best, to be the top of the uh, range, you have to follow your system properly, you see what I'm saying? So it's faithfulness to our system, that's it. We do not decry any other books. We don't say they're poor quality, they're less than us or anything, no. It is for anybody who is interested in that. But since we have decided, we have become interested in Manjari Bhav, in what Rupa Manjari, Rupa Goswami is teaching us, Rupa Nugas, we want to become Rupa Nugas, then we have to follow the standard that he set. You see what I'm saying? That's all. I don't know because it's not directly related, but it's been something that's been at the back of your mind. It's all you came and you said about the gopis. So, I mean, I mean, this is not directly what the gopis are saying. I mean, Krishna's wives, after you left, it seems like they were kind of completely abandoned. I mean, yeah. some of them even carried away his wives. Yeah, yeah. Krishna allowed that. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, yes, I agree that Krishna can do whatever he wants, but yeah. it's a very hard fact to digest. Yeah, yeah, and it is hard to digest. It is hard to digest until we understand that Bhuma Leela is not as uh, advanced as uh, spiritual world Leela, you know. Spiritual world Leela is considered to be aporash, uh, it's considered to be aprakat. Aprakat means unmanifest. 
because we don't know what's happening in spiritual. We know what's happening in Bhoma Leela, right? In Bhoma Leela, the type of things that will happen will be according to the place it is in. It's in Bhoma. And Bhoma is full of faults. So it's going to have faults in it. But when you look at it and study it in very detail, you will see there is no fault. For example, in the case of the wives of Krishna, we may say that they were kidnapped, right? But who kidnapped them? Who kidnapped those wives? Yeah, it was actually it was actually some thieves. The thieves were actually uh, they were actually uh, it is described that they were dacoits. These dacoits were actually all uh, cowherd men. They were gaicharayas, you know, those who uh, take cows out into the forest and... Yeah. yeah they, they were dacoits who were from that category of people, from the category of cowherd men, okay, these dacoits. And they came and they took away Arjuna's wives and they took away Krishna's wives, right? Because Arjuna could not protect his own wives and Krishna's wives. And then Arjuna became very heavily insulted after that because he couldn't protect his own wives. And they made a mockery of him. They, he, they started kissing the wives in front of Arjuna, kissing his wives, kissing Krishna's wives, and sexually molesting them right in front of Arjuna. I mean, that can imagine. It's just unimaginable. Anybody would give up their life in that situation. So that type of humiliation happened. Then what happened was Arjuna decided, I'm going to go for a long walk. This is too much. He became so depressed. His whole name was gone. It was like from being like the topmost personality working on the planet, Arjuna, because he won the war, right? He was like the topmost personality. He came down to hitting rock bottom, like, you know? He was like, nobody was like insulted. So he decided, I'm going to take a long walk. I'm going to go to the Himalayas and I'm going to jump off the Himalayas. <laughs> Commit suicide. So he's, he walked towards the Himalayas and, as then he, and then when he arrived at the Himalayas, he started walking up the mountain, right? And he started walking around on, on the, in the mountainous area. Suddenly the land changed from grass to jewels. The land became bedecked with jewels. And he said, what's happening here? It's grass. I was walking on grass. I mean, he's depressed. You can imagine a depressed person walking on land, right? What does a depressed person walking on land do? He's put his head down like this, just walking, right? He's looking at the ground, right? He doesn't want to look up. He only wants to look at the ground. He doesn't want to look anywhere else. His, his head is down, you know what I mean? He's looking down and walking like a dead man, you know what I mean? He wants to jump off a cliff or something, you know what I mean? And he sees the ground is changing into gems. He's thinking, whoa, what's happening here, you know? Even if you're depressed, right? If you see something like that, suddenly you're going to start thinking, what's happening? What's happening here? And he start, so he put his head up, and when he put his head up, he saw Krishna was standing there. So as soon as he saw Krishna, he became very happy. <laughs> suddenly his uh, depression all ran away. He became very happy. Oh, Krishna! And he was like, eyes lit up, and his face became bright as opposed to, you know, dark face. You know how when somebody's depressed, the face is very dark, right? They look like they shriveled up, you know, they, they, look, they become shorter than they really are. They shrivel, actually, you know, like that. And he just came out again, you know, it's like, wow, Krishna is here, you know. And he was so happy to see Krishna, you know, and tears started flowing out of his eyes, and it's like torrents of rain coming out of his eyes, right, he's seeing Krishna, and he's very happy. And Krishna is very happy to see him. Krishna comes and hugs him and says, wow, I'm so happy to see you again. And he said, oh, Krishna, I thought you left. You're here. I'm so happy. I came here. I could have walked anywhere, right? But I decided to walk here and you happen to be right here. I'm so happy to see you. And Krishna says, yes. 
I'm very happy to see you too. So Krishna says, so what's up? How things going in your life? What happened? <laughs> How come you're here? You're walking here. Your kingdom is there, but you're walking here. What's up? You know, why are you here? You're looking for some nice girl. What, what, are you, what are you doing? Why are you hanging around this place? You know what I mean? It's not the ordinary place you are. So he said, well, you have no idea what happened. Krishna says, well, tell me, what happened? <laughs> and he says, you know, after you left, everything was running fine in one day. These cowherd men, gaucharayas, gau you know, they came with their ropes. <laughs> and they attacked me and my wives and your wives, Krishna, they were all with me. I was looking after them. Gaucharayas, all I did was put my gandiv, I wanted to bring my gandiv and just one arrow and they're all gone, right? I'm picking my Gandhi, and Gandhi's not getting up. Not picking, Gandhi's not coming. Then I thought, well, I should just chant the mantra. So he pulled out his arrow, and he forgot the mantra. He's trying to think, what is the mantra? What is the mantra? What is the mantra? In the meantime, those guys are uh, kidnapping the wives, right? And he's trying to figure out what is the mantra. So I can pull the arrow and, and bang one arrow, and these guys are all gone, you know what I mean? But he can't say the mantra. He forgets the mantra. He's totally like, you know, uh, yeah, he's lost, he's, he's bewildered, totally bewildered. So I became totally bewildered. And they took them and they started molesting my own wives in front of me. Oh my God. Then the news spread all over, all BBC, everywhere, <laughs> talking about, all they're talking about is Arjuna's wives were kidnapped by Gocharayas, you know what I mean? He couldn't even lift anything, he's useless. What type of fighter? I don't know how he won that war in Kurukshetra and everything. And he must have cheated and this, that and the other. And they started saying things like that about me. I thought, wow, how can I live? For a man who has been honored, dishonor is worse than death, right? So I thought I'll walk and I'll jump so off a cliff. No, no, he could, didn't. They're already gone. The wives are gone. He's not with him anymore. You know, he can't find them. He can't do anything. He's trying everything. Nothing's working. You know what Krishna told him? Krishna said, I know. He said, you knew? He said, how did you know? He said, because all those cowherd men were me. I became those cowherd men and I came with a rope. And then I attacked you. Why did you attack me? You are my best friend. You know, Bhakta Sakhacheti, you told me that in the battlefield of Kurukshetra, you told me I am your friend and devotee. Why you did that to me? Why you insulted me like this? And why you molested me? Oh, they say, your wife, so you didn't molest. <laughs> Obviously, you can kiss them, right? You can kiss my wives too, that's not a problem. So Krishna kisses my wife, I don't think I have a problem. Krishna comes and kisses Manjwali, I don't think I'll have a problem. I think that'll be her great fortune, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's her great fortune that he came and kissed her, you know what I mean? I think, oh, I got some benefit too, right? She might put in some good word for me too, right? <laughs> Who knows, I might get a hug too, I might get a nice chapati from his mouth, you know what I mean? Who knows, right? Yeah. So Arjuna thought, okay, that's not a problem now, okay, I can understand that part, okay, wives, whatever he did was fine. But why did you insult me like this? So he said, I insulted you, because if I did not insult you, you would not have walked here. If you had not walked here, I would not have met you, now I'm taking you back to Godhead. And he took him right back to Godhead from there. But the story that is told for the Karmis is that Arjuna did not go back to Godhead, Arjuna went to? Yeah, he went to Vaikuntha. No, actually, uh, Another story says he went to hell. 
because they committed some sins and therefore the Pandavas had to actually go to hell. Yes. Another one says, another story says, because they're different stories. Why are they different stories? Is because they're different days of Brahma, so different pastimes and different things happened. But for us, the real story is that Arjuna went right back to Godhead. Only Arjuna Yeah, no. I mean the others also. But Arjuna went back to Godhead because Arjuna was Vishaka. So Vishaka went back to Godhead. That was her way of going back to Godhead. Now, Arjuna is not just one person. He's Arjuna, he's also Vishaka. You see what I'm saying? In the body of a person can be more than one soul. Like, for example, in the body of the spiritual master is his own soul and Krishna also. Because Krishna is there with uh, that level of potency, he is considered to be uh, the representation of Krishna on this planet. So, when we understand this story like this fully, then we can see there is no fault. But before that, we will feel, yeah, how can you do that? Like another good example is uh, the example of Lord Ram, right? When Lord Ram banished his wife to the forest because somebody accused her that since she had gone to, uh, to Ravan's place, she must have been touched by Ravan, right? Yeah. Ravan must have touched Even her. recently in my office, also my manager said the same thing. Yeah. I don't like Ram because he left his he wife. Yeah, yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah, we had a discussion. You know what I'm saying? So but when you hear the real pastime that happened, you realize what Ram was doing and what Sita was doing. That they were actually sacrificing their love for the pleasure of their devotees. For the benefit of their devotees. If the Lord is ready to sacrifice their love. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. The Lord is ready to sacrifice his love. For us, that shows us how much the Lord loves us, right? Definitely loves us a lot. You know, we, we generally try to sacrifice our happiness for the Lord, right? But when the Lord sacrifices His happiness for us, I mean, that is unheard of, you know? That is, that is amazing. It's amazing, amazing. But probably it is also true that in reality that was not the real scene anyway. But you know, but, but even if you say, okay, it was, the point is she did go through the fire test and she came out completely clean in the fire test. So the point is that the proof had already been done that she was innocent. She was not, even the Maya Sita, uh, Ravan did not touch. Ravan did not touch even the Maya Sita. You know? So, point is that but anyway, it's, uh, this is what it is. And the idea is why this confusion is there is so that we can come to the place where the real answers are available. And until we come to the place where the real answers are available, we're going to be a little confused. And we're going to have doubt in Lord Ram, in Lord Krishna. We'll have doubts, right? And what will the doubts do? What is, what is the saying in Bhagavad Gita? For, for the doubting soul, there is neither happiness in this world nor the next. Yes. Yes, sir. So we will be a doubting soul. This is why we have to come to the point of Tadvidi Pranipatena Pariprashnena Sevaya. We must come to a bona fide spiritual master who can dispel all doubts through the treasure chest of love of Krishna. Because the gems in the treasure chest of love of Krishna dispel all doubts. And so he shows us the treasure chest and says, please dive into the treasure chest and pick up all these gems. And as you pick up these gems like the story that I just told you about what happened to Arjuna, it's a gem. You see, you pick up the gem, it dispels that doubt. Another question, like a doubt might be, why did Krishna steal, you know, why is he called Makanchor? Why do he have to steal? You're God, why are you stealing? 
you know. So you hear the story of Makanchor and you realize, wow, it's great. He's not stealing. He's actually ready to give up his reputation for the pleasure of the cows who are his mothers, like that. Another story is about him dancing with other people's wives in the middle of the night, right? When you hear the story of how that happened, you realize these were not other people's wives. They were his own gopis. He's entitled to dance with his own gopis anytime he wants. Like that. So, many different uh, pastimes like that. You see what I'm saying? There are actually answers. We can see, like Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur said, Krishna is all good. There is no fault in Krishna. Not even uh, a shadow of a fault. What to speak of a fault, no shadow. But of course, if there's no fault, there's no shadow. But you can't even imagine a fault in Krishna. You cannot even imagine a fault in Krishna. Because there is no fault. Like that. Prabhupada said, we married 16,000 on an eight. Where he was lusty, that would not have been enough because he's unlimited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 16,108 is not enough, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then when you hear that 16,108 had 16,108 castles in each of those castles, different times of the day, different seasons, right? Different personalities. All different things happening in those simultaneously, then you can say, Well, how is that going to happen? How can you have 16,108 seasons happening at the same time? Simultaneously. Simultaneously. All differences. The same time. Different times at the same time. How are you going to have that happen anywhere? How can that happen? It's not possible, right? It's impossible. But Krishna does that. That shows that He is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, that statement is made in chapter 15, text 19. Yomam eva masamudo janati purushottamam sasarvavit bhajati mam sarvabhavinabharta. One who knows me as the Supreme Personality of Godhead is the knower of everything. And therefore, he engages in my devotional service with all of his heart and soul. Because to know Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead is to know that he is totally amazing personality. You know, He does things that just cannot be happened, just cannot happen. He does things that are not possible. Let me open Maharaj just come. No, uh, Jack Oh, Jack Prabhu. Maharaj is coming tomorrow, right? Uh-huh. I think he's coming tomorrow. It's the 22nd. Today is 25th. Yeah, 22nd. It's coming 22nd. That's tomorrow. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Jai. All glories, lotus feet of Srila Prabhupada. Jai. Bhakti Samrita Sindhu ki jai. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Vanchakapaturvascha kripasandhubhyaivacha. Patitanam pavanebhyo veshnavebhyo namo namaha. Anantakoti veshnava brindaki jai. Jai. Gora bhakti brindaki jai. So next is going to be chapter 19 now, right?